0: and gentlemen welcome back to the trap drop podcast randy is again he's taking a personal week again uh he's still still coming down from the golden jubilee or the platinum jubilee so you know we're gonna let him him do his thing he'll have plenty to come in the coming weeks as far as wimbledon you know all sorts of i think we're gonna do a tour de france i think we're gonna do an nba draft all sorts of stuff coming up but in the meantime up here in boston doing one in person today John, is it Ezekowitz? Ezekowitz. Ezekowitz. I'm bad with like the the enunciation. John Ezekowitz. Uh, I feel like we didn't do a proper Boston pod the last time uh, the tour was here, and I wanted to. We had we had Ming Tsai on, but it was much more about food and outside of Boston. It wasn't really about Boston. I feel like we're due to to do another Chicago one as well. I got a lot of flack from the Chicago people uh that you know oh that that guy was from cincinnati it's one of randy's buddies he's not actually from chicago i'm pleased to report that john is a, a born and bred and still a resident of boston uh boston proper i will say we'll get That's into right. that so but first and foremost uh, i want to thank our sponsor for today's podcast gooder actually I had my gooders on today uh out of brookline gooder makes 25 dollars active sunglasses for anyone Polarized golf sunglasses that are lightweight, comfortable, don't move when you swing, starting at $25. bucks, they are no slip, no bounce, all polarized and look great on and off the golf course. Built with a golf-specific lens, good or sunny shades, sunglasses, whatever you want to call them. They have the HD contrast and performance without the hefty price tag. I I tend to keep them all over the place. I've got a a pair in my car, a pair in my golf cart. I think my wife has three pairs. Uh, The kids break sunglasses a lot. We have dogs. We have kids. We have go to the beach all the time. And, uh, so yeah, these are just very nice. Like you don't have to worry about messing them up basically. So you can use code trap draw for 15% off your entire order at gooder.com. Again, that's G O O D R.com. And that's all caps trap draw one word for 15% off your entire order. And, uh, yeah, get in the game. It's mid June. You got a lot of beach time, a lot of pool time coming up over this summer. So get in the game with gooder. All right. Where do we start with Boston? John, I'd probably lay out your bona fides, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's great to be with you, Tron. Uh, I was born in Boston. And other than four years when I moved to the great state of New Jersey, I've been in Boston my entire life. Uh, lucky enough to, to go to Harvard, which technically is not Boston. But I think the greater Boston area, Boston, Cambridge, Somerville, uh, it, it counts. Uh, and and have lived in Boston since. Uh, lived in the Back Bay, uh, great part of town when I, you know i think that you've said boston is our most european city in the us i would say boston is a is a city that feels very insular especially if you didn't grow up here yes. it is it's hard to figure out how to get around it's hard to figure out the accent which i don't have <laughs> it's hard it, it, it's hard to understand sort of the some of the local traditions and the passion for the sports teams but it's also a city that I think has had a lot of growth especially in the last 15 years tremendous amount of people moving here the biotech economy is massive the education economy and so it's like it's a it feels more dynamic than at any time since I've been here
0: why do you think that is from a, just is the, like the depth and I guess the the not not complicated but there's there's a certain like richness to Boston I think is that just because it's it's one of our older cities, or oldest cities in the country, probably the oldest city in the country.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know it started off as a port city, right? And yeah. I think port cities always have layers of complexity to them that make them interesting. Um, and it's just got it continually renews itself because there's a hundred thousand kids who come here every year to go to college and you know you think the population of Boston is 600,000 you add cambridge and somerville you're up over a million that's a big chunk of the population that's yeah. new every year and a lot of them now are staying. Um, you know you think about the economy right there's a lot of financial services it's a hub for new england it's got all of that but in the last sort of 30 40 years because of the you know hospital systems and research hospitals and the and the you know MIT harvard such good BU, so many like really good research institutions, the biotech industry that's spun up out of that, you know, it's now, I think it's the biggest biotech cluster in the world in, in Cambridge. It's that's crazy. It's
0: unbelievable. You would think that'd be in like Switzerland yeah, know. or you know, like, but instead, like Basel or Geneva or somewhere like that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And and I also think, you know, it's, it's, it's had waves of immigrants, right. You know, yeah. tons of uh, Irish Catholics coming over, you know, lots of Italians in the North end who have spread out more recently, people from South America. It it hasn't necessarily done a great job of integrating those people into the city uh, as a complicated racial history that I think really just starting to grapple with, but it's created like a lot of really interesting people overlapping with one another. And that, you know, I think creates a lot of richness in the city.
0: So your personal experience, you're born here. Yeah. And you and you've lived in Back Bay, yeah, really since the start. Yeah, grew up in the
1: Back Bay. I was the rare city kid. You know, played uh, little league baseball on the Boston Common.
0: Uh our, our, our I great- always wondered who those. like yeah. I remember taking the dogs out like on a weekend, and there's little league games. There's there's soccer games going on, and I'm like, who, who are these people that like you know they they they're here their entire lives, or they're yeah, you know they're 12 they- years old and they're playing.
1: Our, our little league, we had two fields. One was on the Boston common and one was in the North end uh, looking out at the USS constitution. So <laughs> it's it an interesting place to play little league. You know, our, our great mayor, Thomas Menino who uh, was mayor for 20 years would always throw out the first pitch they called him mumbles Menino. He didn't yeah. struggled with enunciating Did
0: a good. like me, <laughs> yeah,
1: did, did a good job of governing. I think it, um, but uh, yeah, so grew up in the back bay you've lived there. It's a really fantastic residential neighborhood. It's like a combination yeah. of a little bit of, you don't feel like you're in the heart of the city. You're right on the river. You can walk to the Esplanade, but you are, you're, you're really close to everything you would need.
0: Yeah. I loved it. I mean, I, I being up here this week, I felt, you know, not a sense of like, I, I certainly miss it. I, you know, a sense of longing. It's the nicest, it's one of the nicest places to live in the world for, like six months, a, exactly. six months a year. Right. Like I, and I was taking, I was taking DJ and Cody around. We we're filming, filming a feature on George Wright this week and BMW is one of the sponsors. We're driving around the BMW. It was pretty, it's tough not to romanticize living here a little bit, like, you know, walking cause we lived on Commonwealth. We live at common Berkeley. So Commonwealth Avenue mall, like I would take the dogs, you know, walk them down there. And even when it was miserable and snowing, like it's gorgeous. Yeah. Right and so it's tough not to romanticize it and think of because i grew up in atlanta and that was such a suburban just you know very very uh you know car centric Mm -hmm. you know upbringing there's not a whole lot of history and it's just everything's relatively new and there's such a sense of place and authenticity and, and you know uniqueness here and um but i was telling dj and cody i'm like yeah like you know, it it looks great, but, like, every street cleaning day, like, we didn't have a parking spot, so every street cleaning, you know, first and third Monday of every week, like, I'm driving, I probably, you know, drove by your place a bunch, like, I'm I'm driving down Arlington, Berkeley, (laughs) Clarendon, Dartmouth, Exeter, like, for hours, and it's, like, some days I would just have to, like, give up and pay, like, 30 or 40 bucks for parking over at Copley in a garage, and then, you know, or, like, same deal with, like, you know snow removal like yeah. figuring out like all right that guy dug is like dug a car out like knowing what the rules <laughs> and regulations are you put that. A
1: cone down, if you violate the cone or the chair you're yeah in like trouble. i mean
0: explain that like what's the what's like the the standard or like the you know the the um like the the stated uh you know just like status quo for that
1: yeah so you know if you if you dig your car out and it snowed and typically if it snows, it gets cold and it sticks around. So if you dig your car out and you dig a space out and you put something down there, then really that's your space. Yeah. <laughs> it's your space until the snow melts to the point where the whole street is. Does there have to be again. a certain
0: amount of snow?
1: That's is it like question.
0: a six inches is like the minimum or.
1: Yeah. I, I would say it's got to pile up enough that you have to work hard at it. Yeah. You know, and, and it has to stick around, right. If it just snows and then it's going to melt in three days. I don't think, I don't think that counts, but. You know, you can go online. I'm sure you can find
0: stories of people getting into fights. Over. Oh, <laughs> I think I've seen them before. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, the, the winter before we moved here, because we moved here in November, November 2014 or 2015. The winter before was like one of the worst yeah. on record. That, that winter was crazy
1: because it didn't snow at all. And that was the year the Pats beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. They had the parade, they had all the confetti on the streets. Literally like two days after the parade, we got the first blizzard. Snowed a hundred inches and it didn't melt until the middle of April. Yeah. So the middle of April, there was confetti all over the and they like they
0: like couldn't figure out like what to do with it. Like they had so much snow that they oh, yeah. like they couldn't all, all, all dump the, in the river. And, yeah,
1: they were like, all the roads became one-lane roads. It was a it was a mess. Luckily, it hasn't been that bad since, but it can get that way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was pretty, I don't know. Both the winters we had here were I feel like pretty mild. And it wasn't so much the You know, December, January, February—that got me. It was like, man, like when it's when it's late March or like, you know, I'm watching the Masters and there's and the snow is one thing, but like when it melts and then refreezes and then melts and there's like four layers of ice and then snow and then ice and everything's got salt all over it.
1: Well, you know, T. S. it's a Boston guy. Yeah. He famously said April is the cruelest month. Yeah. I think he, I think, I think the weather played a big role into that.
0: Even into May. I mean, some of the like, shit, when we were here for, for, you know, us open media day. I, I was so looking forward to coming back up to Boston and I'm like, man, like it's going to, you know, it's May, it's going to be great. And I kind of forgot, like it was, it was relatively early May, but there was not a single leaf <laughs> on any of the trees in that video. And I'm like, it's been 90 plus degrees in Florida for for months now. Um yeah, but 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 you know, but then like it pops really really quickly and yeah. and, and then it sticks around like like September October is wow. like
1: best time of year. The
0: nicest place and the nicest time of year anywhere anywhere in the continental United States.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the fall in Boston is fantastic. It's really good.
0: So you grew up grew up in back bay? Even from like a grow, like, I mean, Cody and like Cody and DJ were asking me, they're like, like, where'd you go to the grocery store? I was like, I don't know, there's a star market over at like Coughley Square. (laughs) Like, I'd go to DeLuca's Market and Beacon Hill, you know? And it was like, you just figure it out as you go. And like, you know, that was kind of one of the things for us was like, nobody really, I'd never really lived in the city before, right? Like, I'd visited Neil Plenty up in New York. And, but like, Alex and I, we really wanted to have that city experience, but Boston felt a hell of a lot more approachable and, Just like, I don't know, a little bit more doable than, say, New York. And there's some downsides, I think. Like, there's not, like, the critical mass in spots. So you don't have, you know, it's kind of stuck in between at certain spots.
1: Yeah. I think for better or worse, Boston is a city that you can get to know really well. Like, like you spend time here, you're willing to explore, you know, and not just Boston, but Cambridge, Somerville, the suburbs. Like, you, you can feel like, all right, I get a handle on this. New York's not like that so that's good and bad right because you know you know new york has a unique energy it's like it has,
0: infinite layers to yeah, new York. like yeah
1: it has unbelievable culture like whatever you want to get into you can get into there uh not necessarily the case in boston but you know for city living to be able to kind of feel like you know your spots and
0: yeah you can, you can and it feels personal yeah. too where like you could go to you know if you're in back bay you can go over to Cambridge or pop over to Beacon Hill or go to South End and you know they're all very very different at yeah. figuring out like kind of what the you know where you fit in and and you know and it's very like the tea's awesome I mean I like I loved like I mean I know like probably if you're like a regional commuter yeah. or something like you probably feel the opposite but like living on the green line yeah. like it's it's really really like you know green and red line I feel like are pretty yeah pretty convenient pretty standard and like you know you can get a lot of different places any tea tips or uh green line green line is great
1: unless you want to go all the way out <laughs> actually what they're suggesting people do for and
0: it t- like it takes for forever day. to get if, out there if you yeah.
1: want to go all the way out to the end to like VC to chestnut hill it takes a long time because it stops yeah. it's like running alongside the road above ground uh and so it stops a lot
0: and the stations, like, are not part, yeah, part of no, no, no. it's, it's, like, three <laughs> like, blocks. Like, like, I went from, like, we're here in Brookline Village. I went from Brookline Village to Cleveland Circle or Reservoir Station today, and it was, like, you know, four stops, and it was, like, a ten-minute ride, But yeah. like, and we probably went, like, 0. 0.8 miles.
1: <laughs> but but what I will say is, if you're going to the TD Garden, or yeah. you're going to Fenway, the T is the best way to get there. Yeah, Because you get two, stop, two stops for Fenway, and one for the Garden that are within five minutes of both and it's
0: super easy. Kind of diffuses yeah. everybody. Yeah. No, and it was, you know, it was always something like we were going from Arlington to like, you know, down to North Station or, you yeah. know, and, and it was, yeah, it was super convenient there. Like I wish there was a little bit more connectivity north-south. It's a very like east-west yeah. city. Like I mean, I spent a ton of time up on the North Shore. And and now like since I've come back, I've been getting to the South Shore more often. And like those two Like those are like two poles that like don't really interact with one
1: another that's right and you gotta you gotta go through boston which you know before the big dig was impossible and then the big dig made it pretty easy for a while and now the population growth means that it's hard to go through boston yeah
0: yeah i mean so you you were living here all through the big dig like tell me about that what what uh i was
1: i was pretty young at the time but
0: which was probably a sweepstakes for yeah. you. You're like, oh my God, like excavators. bulldozers, and dump trucks.
1: Was, well, what was wild was they had this thing called the central artery, which is what they took out because of the T, because of the big dig. And it was above ground and it was clearly falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> it was a disaster. So they needed to do it.
0: And that was what like ran through North End and all, yes. all that. Okay. Yeah. And it was, it was mostly
1: coming from the, the North shore into the city through Chelsea and um and then they built the tunnel to uh the ted williams tunnel to get to logan yeah which i think has paid a ton of long-term dividends because logan is so close to the city now yeah. it's like with no traffic it's like 15 minutes to yeah. get to boston or cambridge
0: most or convenient like uh, philadelphia i would say philadelphia reagan national and logan are like the three most convenient airports to a, a, and maybe san diego like yeah. those, like to a downtown you know you're literally
1: clipping the buildings yeah exactly yeah
0: but but i mean but like logan like i can't imagine how because it sounds like there were horror stories getting there pre-big dig where yeah you know there's like no connectivity if there's a like you're missing your flight if there's a wreck yes it's
1: one way in and out and actually they're the the uh callahan tunnel which is like 110 years old they're shutting it down for the whole year, one way and the whole year, the other way coming up, which I don't know. <laughs> when it, We flew
0: in on, we flew in on Sunday night from Grand Rapids and I mean, it took us, it was like, you know, it should have been a 20 minute drive from Logan. It took us an hour and 20 Yeah. to get here. And I'm like, what's going on with the tunnel? And he's like, oh dude, like, don't even get me started. <laughs> like, yeah. And,
1: and actually what's crazy is East Boston, which is like 40,000 people in a super cool part of Boston. Yeah. It, because of the water is pretty separated from the city it's like its own sort of self-contained thing
0: and is that it, like over by like winthrop and that yeah, whole exactly. like strip over yeah. there so
1: it's like what you so logan is in east boston okay and you can see it kind of wrap around when you take off yeah that's all east boston and it's like i don't know people commuting to and from there like they got to get in and out there's the a ferry ambulance. over there too right yeah that's right yeah, yeah there's a ferry
0: yeah i used to i'm like a weird like aviation buff i used to like go over to that like you know little beach or park over there and like the planes would take off for europe like the 747s and the the big planes would take off for europe at like 4 p.m 5 p.m and i would just sit there and have a beer (laughs)
1: yeah well the other thing the other thing you can do which you know it's kind of like a one-time thing but it's pretty cool is you can take a boat out into the harbor to the harbor islands to spectacle island which used to be a like a literal on fire trash dump yeah but they reclaimed with big dig soil and got into a nice like place to go have a picnic it's like that's uh, like
0: probably the most productive because i I don't even get me started on granite links (laughs) which is what they did with all the other big dig Soil, uh, and yeah. <laughs> you, you can get into the whole story
1: about Ponkapog, which is where I learned how to play golf.
0: Which I was is talking a, to a guy yesterday about Ponkapog, yeah. and like I guess they spent a shitload of money, and then it's gone back, kind of back into,
1: yeah, I, think that, I, I I may get some of the details wrong, but Ponkapog is a 36-hole state-owned, which I think it's the only golf course, the state-owned facility, about half an hour south of Boston, and at least 18 of the holes are original Donald Ross, like haven't been touched. And when the USGA was looking at Beth page, they were also looking at Ponca Pog as a place to invest a bunch of money. Uh, and they were going to use the fill from the big dig because the problem is the drainage is atrocious yeah. on a bunch of the holes. And I think, I don't know whether it was politics or environmental stuff, but something got in the way and they didn't do that. It's a shame because it could be a really, really, really good golf
0: course. I was talking to, so we played with Mark, Mark Munjem, who's like the consulting yeah. architect at uh, at George Wright in Franklin Park, and he's about to take on Putterham as well. He was saying, like, yeah, it's you know him, and then a couple other people were like, yeah, they put. I guess they put some money yeah, they into they it. Tried. Yeah, and then but they like didn't have the the infrastructure, or the leadership down there to really like make it work. And I guess that's probably a like a commentary on state politics versus city politics, because that that like that's my biggest takeaway at, at uh, George Wright is. So like so there's there's George Wright and there's Franklin Park and those are the only two owned by the city of Boston, and for lack of like I mean Frank, Franklin Park's been in like like it was basically like went fallow for a couple of decades. It's like the it's the historically black golf course and you know it's like very like like a lot of like just kind of neglected uh, for a long time and it's like a quirky, cool golf course yeah, and they've super cool. they've been investing in that and then they've been investing in George Wright really for the last like, you know, 15, 20 years or so. And it's gotten to the point where like they had the mass am yeah. out there a few years ago. And that was kind of the genesis of our video that we're doing, but like talking to them about like, I've never heard of every single person to, to an individual was like, Hey, like mayor Menino, Marty Walsh. And I'm not sure who the new mayor, mayor is. Wood. Mayor Woo. Like she, yeah. yeah. She's just like, like everybody was like, they leave us alone. They give us the right budget like, and they, and they let us like carry out this vision and they don't muddle with it or they don't. And yeah. it's like, it's such a rarity in municipal golf in, well, I, in the country.
1: I, you know, look, don't want to draw too much from one example, but I think it's, it, it speaks to actually Boston has had good mayors for a while. Uh, yeah. and the city is pretty well run, you know, I think compared to a lot of other major cities, yeah. like and the state is pretty well run yeah. compared to a lot of other states. <laughs> you know competence in government seems like something that you know probably shouldn't be too much to ask, but I think you know we we, we have uh, it's been uh, it's been nice to see, and I think it's part of the reason why the area has had such a good run economically and with opportunity over the last decade plus It,
0: it, it seems like somewhere too where people are people are more involved in local politics than elsewhere it's like the you know the saying is always like yeah like you wouldn't like change the world like get involved in like local politics not national politics where everybody's just yelling to each other about the same same four or five issues it's like you want to change where you live like you know city council you know county stuff all that and it's like it's it's so like this is a perfect example of it yeah
1: for sure it also helps to have the tax base go up a lot totally
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean certainly there's a there's a there's some, some magic bullets, here, I think, you know, as far as uh, having, yeah, having tax base and having like, you know, just like also just like very, very good infrastructure in place as far as metro and park system and all that, yeah. where like, you the, know, the emerald
1: necklace, like there's tons of green space, it, despite the fact that Boston is a pretty dense city in parts, there's a lot of open green space. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of crazy is that in a lot of metrics, Massachusetts has been, what you know, they have public health, education, like since the start of, you know, since the 1700s, it's yeah. been the top or close to the top in the country. It's kind of crazy how that persists over time.
0: I was blown away when we moved here where I tried to find a, uh, or like, I, I I said to my wife, I'm like, let's find a happy hour, you know, because we're paying like <laughs> four grand a month in rent. I'm like, let's find a happy hour. She's like, hey, check it. Like, I mean, and she was in food of beverage. She's like, hey, check it out. Like, happy hours are illegal here yeah. like and i you know i thought coming from atlanta that like you know coming from the south the bible belt like i think of boston i think a bunch of like you know irish and italians who love to drink which is true yeah. but also like it's it's kind of like a you still get that puritan streak
1: through it yeah in, in kind of weird ways that pop out at you when you're not expecting it yeah
0: it's strange i want to thanks one of our other sponsors DraftKings, which boston company founded here i was actually in the DraftKings box off of 14, 14 fairway today. That's going to be fascinating hole. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but two majors are down. Next up is Brookline. From T to Green, get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can deposit $25 or more and get $100 in free bets instantly. I'm on Fleetwood this week. I'm on, I guess, Speed got sick this morning or wasn't feeling well. I don't know. That's like, that was conjecture, I, I guess. But um, I'm on the Iron players this week. Morikawa, Zalatoris, um, all those guys. So I think um, like I, this is the most excited I've been for U.S. Open in a long time, probably. I was like weirdly excited for Aaron Hills, I think. But this is kind of – I don't know. It's just a different – it's a different look. We haven't seen this place in a couple decades. So if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still hit the course for cash with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Golf Contest. It's easy. Just pick six golfers, stand in the salary cap, lock your lineup before the pros hit the first hole on Thursday. Everyone can play for over ten million dollars in prizes. Don't miss the action for golf's third major. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code NLU at sign up. Deposit twenty five dollars or more and get one hundred dollars in free bets instantly. That's code NLU only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Who do you got this week?
1: I'm taking Zalazaris.
0: You got Zalazaris? His major records, like I think, it's, it's really insane.
1: popular. Uh, but. You know, I I base my picks off of who I have left and wanted done. Yeah. I got to Al left. I would love to see JT knock off two in a row. I think that'd be pretty cool.
0: And, and JT knock off a non-PGA <laughs> as well. Like, you know, kind of dip his toe outside of the PGA.
1: This is a proper golf course. Whoever yeah, wins here.
0: Exactly. We were talking earlier. You mentioned Marion earlier. Like, I'd put this on the same plane as Marion as far as just, there's so much variety. You, you know, you can't fake it. It's not a bombers paradise. So yeah, you got to hit kind of long and straight off the tee, but but it's, you know, I feel like you got to be more disciplined off the tee than anything yeah. and then give yourself opportunities to hit good irons. And weirdly with Altorres, I feel like it's going to it's going to equalize the putting a little bit cuz there's so much slope in the greens, right? Like people like guys are going to miss 4 and 5 footers. Like good like good putters are going to miss 4 and yeah. 5 footers, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Absolutely. It's fun to see the best players in the world come to probably the most sloped greens that they've seen in their lives. And as we all know, they're not big Uh, and you can be in some funky spots around them where you might really be snookered in a way that probably doesn't typically happen to them on non links golf courses.
0: So it's like guys are going to have to think this week, which is even like I was disappointed last year at Royal St. George's or even a little bit at, at, um, at Southern Hills. where I felt like, you know, I didn't know weather played a part, but you know, the greens were almost so slow that it kind of neutered some of the slopes a little bit. And I feel like they've, you know, if the USGA keeps things up, I, I know it's going to get a little bit dicey, what, Friday afternoon, yeah, I think. It might be, yeah. Like it feels like they're going to, they're, they're running at what, like 11, 11 and a half?
1: Yeah. I, I was lucky enough to be out there today. They actually <laughs> they looked a little slow at the beginning of the day, uh, but by the, by the afternoon, they had gotten, pretty crispy and yeah so imagine what that's going to be like tomorrow and friday over the weekend if the forecast and,
0: you know i'm totally fine with like ramping it up as the week goes along because i know yeah. they gotta get however many you know 130 yeah. 140 guys through it but like i want to see i want to see this place show its teeth on saturday sunday you can't overpower the par fives you got to hit proper distance control on the par threes
1: yeah
0: it's uh and and just like you know even if they're not fast, just keep them firm. I don't care about the speed. Just keep them firm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So what was it like going from back Bay, like growing up in back Bay and then going to Harvard? Like, was it like, you like right across the river?
1: <laughs> so, so, so for me, uh, it, when I was in, uh, when I was in high school, we moved to New Jersey and before we moved, I would have said, I want to get away from Boston for college. But we moved to, you know, we moved to Princeton, New Jersey, which not an elevator to be found. Great, great town. Maybe (laughs) maybe in the university, but not not in the town. I I I guess
0: I like we got. So Casey, who's a colleague now, we had her on the talk new jersey and everybody's like well she's not talking about new jersey like but like i can't place princeton and i and and i kind of asked her and like i've never been to princeton and neil always shits on it because he's you know he like he hated he hated playing those guys down there but like it's north of it's kind of central jersey
1: yeah it's central jersey it's 10 miles south of trenton it's basically exactly equidistant between philly and new york okay and it feels like that like you Know the fandoms are kind, kind of feels
0: split, split or
1: yeah. like kind of caught between two. There's, there's a lot of people who commute into New York City from Princeton. Okay, it's like the furthest sort of bedroom community because you can get in there on the express in under an hour, but it's a sleepy town and it's pretty close to the Pennsylvania border. And it, it kind of feels to me, it feels more like PA, okay, than the rest of. In, in, in like more PA suburbs than South Jersey, which is
0: more like a bucks County or yeah, something like that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah.
1: I, w- I was down there and I, I came back up to, I, I, I was like, all right, I miss it. I want to come back. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Harvard is an amazing school. I got in and walked onto the golf team for a year was the worst guy on the team, but what's
0: the home course for the golf team?
1: little course called the country club. Okay.
0: <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> uh,
1: so, so yeah. Uh, and walked onto the team for a year and had an amazing experience was clearly not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> I was the last guy on the team. I, I really enjoyed it. And um, what, what's incredible about Harvard is that it, the best people in the world at almost everything are there. Right. You know, there's a kid in my class who, you know, won the spelling bee. There's a kid in my class who's like the best violinist, right? You know,
0: like very high achievers. Very, very
1: high achievers. And and Harvard will take you if you know you don't have to be well-rounded. <laughs> if you're the best at what you do, they, they want you. Uh-huh. And they had a they had a sports analytics club. It was one of the first ones. It was pretty early. I gravitated towards that. I'd always been a big sports fan, big numbers guy. Um, and through that, got the opportunity to work for the Phoenix Suns okay. doing analytics while I was in school. So. It was, uh, was
0: that back when like Dantoni was the coach or, or... That, D'Antoni, Dantoni
1: and Steve Kerr got fired? Okay, the summer that I the, before I started working there.
0: Okay, so, but that that culture was kind of still instilled, or <laughs> uh, and I know there's a lot of sun stuff percolating in the media, yeah, well, yeah, well no, no, no. And the culture and all that.
1: Well, the, the players were still there, so it was the end of the Steve Nash, Grant Hill, okay, you know, that era. Amare was gone, but the coaching staff totally turned over and the GM turned over and they were stuck between release patterns. <laughs> they're, they're trying to compete with an aging team and make the yeah. playoffs and have that run while sort of rebuilding. And eventually stuff to do. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta hit the rebuild button. Like you gotta fully hit the rebuild button unless, you know, kind of like the Celtics who've gotten, you know, make an amazing trade and sort of keep it going. So I, I will work for them for three years and then started working in finance. And so I've been in Boston since Harvard, Harvard was some of the best times of my life. Cambridge is quite different. Yeah. I think as, as you probably, and know. there's different
0: areas, like the oh, different yeah. areas of Cambridge are starkly, yes. starkly unique versus the other. Yeah. Ones. Which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. A, Cambridge has a,
1: Cambridge has a cool vibe. Cambridge has the best of the food scene. Cambridge at Somerville. Yes. Maybe because the rent's a little bit cheaper and people are willing to take more of a risk. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I highly recommend uh Cambridge if, if you're thinking about moving to Boston Cambridge is a good spot to be so is Somerville too
0: yeah and it seems like it's only getting more so
1: yeah right for sure
0: what did you study at Harvard
1: I was an economics major I most I wrote my thesis about the hot hand okay. uh, so I did a lot of uh, I did a lot of basketball related stuff while I was there which was pretty fun. probably
0: probably read a thesis on my DraftKings performance lately right I mean you are <laughs> the definition of
1: <laughs> exactly
0: well, I'm going to come crashing my, my, down my, to earth, right? The, the, the
1: thesis was about the classic, you know, the hot hand is the classic example, was the classic example of, uh, you know, economists telling sports players they didn't know what they were doing, right? That that it's a behavioral fallacy. People don't actually get hot. That was the classic yeah. study.
0: It's just pure chance and and it's going to even out in the long run. But
1: the uh, the thing that in 1985, when they did the study, they couldn't really account for is what if everybody believes in the hot hand? And so when I worked for the Suns, I would ask the players and the coaches and they're like, yeah, people get hot and we cover them differently and they behave differently. So
0: there's like a feedback. Loop there's a feedback
1: there. loop. Yeah. So with the new optical tracking data at the time in the NBA, what we were able to do is capture where every player on the court was and the ball was every fifth of a second, so you could you could you could show that once players made a couple of shots, the next talk, shot they took was much harder, and it was closer defended. So the closest defender was closer. And okay. once you accounted for the fact that the shot was more difficult, there was a hot hand. So like J.R. Smith
0: at oh, the time, he's like the ultimate. He was, was like the ultimate, the perfect, hot perfect hand guy. The perfect example case study. Also, yeah. He was also
1: the guy like if he made two threes in a row.
0: Because he was Nuggets at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, and Knicks. Okay, uh,
1: yeah. If he made two threes in a row, the, the his usage rate, so like the 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 percentage of the time that he took the team's next shot, fifty percent. So he just hunt
0: whatever just irrational shot, confidence. whatever shot
1: he could find. Right? Marcus
0: Smart's probably a little <laughs> bit like that with the Celtics, yeah. right? Yeah, I know
1: he's got a little bit of that in
0: him. That like optical technology that was like when they started using like the Israeli yeah sports field defense, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then like so, how much has it? I mean, because I'm sure you probably. You're not in the field anymore, but it's probably still like top of mind or, yeah. or like very hobby for you. Like, what, how much has that developed over the last, you know, oh, it's gotten five ten so, 10 years. It's, yeah. It's gotten so much better. Uh, I mean,
1: teams, I mean, frankly, we didn't know what to do with all the data. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't, you know, we, we like data, but we weren't big data people. And it's totally transformed because you just have so, you, you think about 82 games, it's tens of millions of data points. And thinking about, characterizing plays like people have gotten smarter thinking about like okay how do i map out what happens on a pick and roll or these actions and who's doing what i mean when i when i worked in the nba there was a lot of low-hanging fruit both from a player valuation standpoint and from an in-game standpoint you know and the the Rockets and others like showed the value of the three over the two in game and all that, all that shot selection and other stuff. And then you know, thinking about like, oh, which guys can actually learn how to shoot threes, and threes being a skill that you can teach.
0: And then the stretch four, yeah, yeah, exactly. So
1: there was a lot. I I spent most of my time focused on the draft and predicting, like trying to think about predicting what skills would translate from college to the NBA. Um, And so, for instance, like the stretch four. One of the things is if you had a big who in college didn't really shoot a lot of threes because at the time, like, you know, nobody was letting their bigs shoot threes, but he was a really good free throw shooter. That was a pretty good tell that
0: he could be the skills are there. He could be taught how to shoot it three. Yeah. God, you know who I loved? Like he was like the original one of the original stretch fours. He always reminds me of Randy's game, Steve Novak. Oh yeah. (laughs) Steve Novak. (laughs) He was with the Rockets for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who did you had. guys draft when when you were there? So we
1: drafted uh Markeith Morris. That Kentucky, was an interesting right? draft. Yeah. Uh no, that he was Kansas. Kansas his, that's
0: right. Okay.
1: His, him and his twin brother yeah. Marcus. Yeah. So that was the year that uh Kyrie went number 1. Okay. Um what, that was 2011 draft. Oh, okay. Um and that was also Kawhi, Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler. So our draft model like Jimmy Butler was like number three in our draft model. And we were really, we, we wanted to trade down and take him, but ultimately decided not to because we had a bunch of wings on our roster. already. Okay. You know, it was kind of like still Grant Hill, still Terry Dudley. They were still playing well. Yeah. Wish we had done that. But so we drafted him the next year we drafted Kendall Marshall, who okay. was the point guard from UNC yeah. whose career really got derailed by knee injuries. And then, my final year, we picked Alex Len.
0: Okay, from, from Maryland? Yeah, yeah, big guy. Yeah, and probably somebody that, like, predictive analytics said, hey, you can teach this guy how to stretch it out, or was it just, like, you needed a big guy at that yeah, point? Yeah, I think he was
1: – we had the fifth pick. It was kind of a weird draft. It was not a very good draft. Okay. That was the first year of the bottoming process. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, um, leaning into the bottoming. Yeah, because yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, we just – we tra- traded Steve – to the Lakers for a bunch of first-round picks, which was a really bad trade by the Lakers. And uh yeah, I think you know Alex maybe didn't develop the way that we thought he would.
0: So you were there. So you were with the Suns. Basically, was this all through like like the back half of college, or was this or yeah. was this even after no, college? This was through what? college? Yeah. Okay. Three years of
1: college. So basically, my my extracurricular was that I worked for the Suns.
0: And it was all remote, or. Would you go at or I would go out
1: there, uh, go out there during winter break, spring break, a little bit, and then for the draft.
0: And any thought after you graduated to keeping it rolling, or was it just? Yeah,
1: I th- I thought hard about it. Um, I-, I felt like if I went and worked in business and finance for a little bit. actually that'd be a positive if i wanted to come back and work in sports because i could do not just the analytics side but also some of the business and analytics side at the time a lot of the front offices were not split they had like their analytics guy you know sometimes did both and i really enjoyed it and i still have a lot of friends who are in it it's a hard 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 thing to do because you're judged on a short time frame and you only get to make a certain number of decisions. Just like a and,
0: certain quarter of luck
1: in it, right? And some of that can be taken out of your hands, especially mm-hmm. in the NBA and like such a star-driven league where if you're in a city where guys don't want to go in free agency, you have to get really <laughs>
0: Sacramento. Lucky. You,
1: have get, <laughs> yeah. you have to get lucky through the draft, like like yeah. Milwaukee, right? Milwaukee drafts Giannis and suddenly and Chris Middleton, suddenly they're a magnet for talent, but otherwise it'd be hard, right?
0: Oh, um, i'm still bummed about i'm like you know grew up a hawks fan like, yeah I, I think i stopped reading for the hawks when they like, drafted trey young i'm just not a trey young guy because like i liked i of to draft luca yeah and it, and it was like the second coming of like that same decision that they made to draft Marvin, Marvin williams, williams ahead of darren williams and yeah. uh and and uh, chris paul and it's just so frustrating so like are you a big celtics fan yeah love the celtics I, so i mean I, like i've you know it's kind of like a fairy tale story but like Brad Stevens just seems like a, like a really, really switched on sharp dude. Yeah. The the whole,
1: the whole front office is really, really good. Um, And it's an example, I think, you know, what I think you need to do if you're an ownership group, which is get people that you trust in place and then let them work on a long time scale. Because if you're worried about your job security, you start making short-term decisions that oftentimes don't work out and then it sets the franchise back making compromises
0: more. based yeah. yeah yeah and so danny's been
1: there for danny was there for a long time yeah. and then you know transitioned to brad but the front office has been very stable guys like mike zarin and austin ainge and dave lewin and, and like the analytics staff they, they've been there for the whole run and they've been consistent about what they wanted to do and you know look they tell you got some things right got some things wrong but giving them that space to do that has been super valuable
0: what does an analytics staff look like like i mean the celtics or the suns or like i mean whoever like like what's yeah. the how many positions are there and it, what are it, the roles and responsibilities it really varies
1: from team to team it depends on how much the coaching staff is open to have sort of more of that analytics driven approach like real time in real time yeah but you gotta, at this point now you gotta have a programmer or people who can program and get all of the data ingested and usable. And I think the most important thing. And when I worked for the sons, I viewed my job as like number one, to be a translator and it's gotten better because now the, the coaches, especially the assistant coaches have come up and, and are more, more GMs who are fluent, but like to be able to take what people see with their eyes and feel and know like, Hey, the hot hand is real, yeah. <laughs> and and marry that up with the numbers because you know probably seventy percent of the time the numbers and the intuition agrees, and it's that thirty percent where it disagrees that you got to really like have that trust of the yeah. staff to be able to talk it out and figure out hey is this right is this wrong how should we do this?
0: Well, are you a, are you a fan of the process? <laughs> I feel bad asking that question without Randy here, but no, I, I, I would I will ask it know. you know on behalf of Randy. <laughs>
1: I think the process was well-conceived. I think it was decently well-executed until they just decided to blow it up from a front office standpoint. I think the idea was right. And the idea being like the most valuable thing you can have is a first round draft pick in the NBA, especially a pick in the top five, because the talent is not linear, right? It spikes at the top. And to get control of a guy with restricted free agency for six years yeah. is so valuable. I feel like it's
0: so much more in the NBA. It's so much more about ceiling. Yeah, totally. Than it is about floor. Whereas in the NFL, for instance, it seems like it's it's much more of a mixture of those two things, right? Yeah, and like you know, taking
1: Nerlens Noel and taking Joel Embiid, like guys with high ceilings who you know had some injury issues. Like yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. I think um, one of the funny things about the process is that they also had a bunch of like late first and second round picks
0: and none of them stuck. Okay. And I think they were like two of those
1: guys being starter quality players from it really working.
0: Was it always basketball for you or, or was that just kind of by chance? And that was the job that was available.
1: Uh, I've always been a big, I, I, as a kid growing up, huge basketball fan, huge baseball fan. Like I, I love yeah. all sports, but Ken Pomeroy, yeah. uh, in, in college, you know, sort of the, the Dean of college basketball analytics, like my brother and I grew up going to BC games all the time back when they were good, you know, shout out to Brendan Porath. They haven't <laughs> been good in a long time. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, we got into, to KenPom.com and like, you know, Hey, this is a better way to view what's going on here. And so I, I always thought basketball was interesting. Michael Lewis wrote a piece in the new york times magazine in like 2007 2008 called the no stats all-star about shane battier and i read that and i was like oh yeah that makes a ton of sense like i want to get involved in that okay so it felt like at the time like
0: baseball baseball was like farther evolved. baseball was
1: was farther evolved the nfl was nowhere yeah the nfl caught up a lot in the f- sort of three four
0: years that i was doing it and has continued to catch up and it seems like that's where the motion stuff can really oh yeah absolutely Shane's like, deep in it man they're like <laughs> You know, I, I, like, that was one of the reasons Ayuk was in the doghouse last year was he had, like, you know, they got those sensors or the, I don't know, if it's RFID or whatever, but, like, it's basically, he's like, yeah, you're dogging it during practice, man. Like, your velocity way down, you're, you know, all that. Uh, are you a Patriots fan?
1: Yeah.
0: Are you bullish or bearish?
1: Uh, the Mac Jones era. I- I'm cautiously optimistic. I will say I'm not as deep into the Pats as I was. Yeah. Um, but – I think Mac has the brain and I just don't know whether you can get sort of stronger arm, quicker release, that stuff, that decision-making, like, you know, we'll see whether that improves in year two and three, but I think there's a chance. And if he's really good, like I trust, uh, I trust the defense to be good enough to get them places.
0: What's the uh, just thinking about Belichick, because it's super interesting. Like they've nailed so many, Kind of weird, off the wall draft picks, and then they've also like
1: they haven't drafted a good wide receiver. In yeah, days.
0: it's crazy. And you know, like, are they ve- are they very analytics focused, or are they very like just much more scouting focused? And and they have their their philosophy, and they're almost dog you know they're almost dogmatic about like you know drafting corners and safeties, and and
1: yeah, I I know that they they have had analytics people. I don't know to what extent that gets, first of all, how deep they go. And then second of all, how much weight that carries in the yeah. you know, ultimate decision-making. I, I think, I actually think whether they would call it analytics, a lot of what Bill does is analytics yeah. by another name, right? Just like the encyclopedic knowledge.
0: And, it's almost like analytics by feel yeah. instead of analytics by data. right? Yeah. Like yeah. he's, he's analyzing a repository of, of, you know, decades of knowledge, just organized a little bit differently. Yeah. Growing up playing, I mean, obviously you're a good player. Where else did you play? Around town. I grew up, I learned the game at
1: Ponkapog, would play George Wright, would play all the, you know, little junior tournaments at the public courses around. My family joined a place called Belmont, which is a Donald Ross, about 20 minutes outside the city. They had the senior players there in 2015. Okay. So it's a it's a and I'm still I still play there today it's a really fun golf course, you know, like a lot of the courses in new England, very up and down. Yeah. It's they lost a bunch of the Ross holes in the sixties because of eminent domain of Route two, which is a shame. Yeah. We're actually, we're actually about to do a restoration with Brian Silva. Okay. I'm pretty excited about
0: that. Got a ton of Brian Silva up here. Yeah. He's got the red tail. all the time. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> There's just so
0: much good golf in this it's crazy. What do you think the most underrated course, you know, you can go all the way up to, you know, kind of Essex, Manchester yeah. by the Sea, or all the way down the. To- Can we throw the Cape in there? Yeah, yeah. We'll do. We'll do one Cape, okay. one non-Cape. All right, fair enough. Eastward Ho! Yeah, oh, Eastward Ho! Is awesome. Eastward Ho is a place that
1: I don't think nationally a lot of people have heard of. It started to get more yeah. attention. It's
0: so good. Eastward Ho reminds me of like Karn. Like it's yeah. it's extreme. <laughs> like yeah,
1: it is. It's got tons of elevation, tons of big features, kind of like bathtubby situations it's got water on two or three sides mm-hmm. and it, it's always windy and super cool it's a really cool place
0: non non cape
1: non cape well now george wright has been discovered yeah uh, which was- I,
0: I i was telling the guys over there i was like i'm not we're not responsible for like blowing up anybody's spot because i feel like it got discovered in the last two or three years and we're just throwing yeah. more kerosene on the
1: fire <laughs> which is great i mean the place yeah. deserves it and i hope i hope uh, they get even more budget from the city because that place is awesome so i would have said george Wright. you know it, it's it sounds trite to say but like essex is unbelievable it's so good
0: i have a buddy who actually lives here in boston he hates essex really he hates it he just thinks it's like the most gimmicky part. i'm like 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 dude and he likes myopia and like, wow. dude, like how, like, how do you, how do you square those things? Yeah. What are, what do you think the most overrated?
1: Cool, that's a good question.
0: And technically this isn't a golf podcast. So nobody's know, listening for I your know. golf takes. So don't worry about burning a future bridge. So.
1: Fair enough. You know, <laughs> I don't think granite links is rated
0: anymore, but I'm oh. not, not a fan. I personally, I think Boston golf is a really good course. I wouldn't put it in the same echelon um, and as where it gets placed around Boston. So you prefer old sandwich to Boston golf?
1: Yeah. The back nine is really good. I don't love the front nine. Yeah. And it's still it's – it's an amazing golf course, but, you know, I think it was, what, I don't know, 60 or 70 in the top 100 in the U.S. Like, I, I wouldn't put it there. Okay.
0: Are you super analytical with your game?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I were more analytical. I track i I get a spreadsheet where I try to track stats, but I've tried to learn how to be better about the number one insight I've had is that I don't actually hit my numbers because I'm not that good <laughs> and so if I have one seventy like maybe I shouldn't try to flush the one seventy club and I should grip down on the the one eighty club and and if it doesn't go well, it'll be okay. That's been the the biggest insight for me
0: that's it's kind of like knowing your own limitations, right yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I would say, like, I get I get frustrated sometimes with the way golf's heading a little bit to where the analytics can only take you so far. It feels like you've got kind of a good grasp or handle on like what you know where that delineation is.
1: Yeah, I I think that analytics are really at the best. Analytics give you a blueprint for what to go do, and then ultimately, like, you have to you don't follow that blueprint to a T you use it as guidelines to then go, you know, sort yeah. of execute above and beyond.
0: You got to, it's like, it's, it's still a game of feel, yeah. right? It's still a game of.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and the other thing that analytics can't account for is how you, how you, like you change over yeah. the course of a round.
0: Well, and, and there's different variables that enter like your heart rate goes up or there's different. And I find that like, I actually, I lock, I pay so much better attention when I'm, nervous or when the moment's big because like it makes me focus more and i get super lackadaisical when it's not like
1: that yeah right
0: but there's nothing to account for that right yeah totally speaking of analytics last read precision pro i'm just going to ad-lib this one uh they were with us in michigan last week for the for our grand rapids event sponsoring andy and brendan uh the precision pro house over in cambridge this week um i I think i'm gonna head over there tomorrow Um, I played the NX-10 or I, I used the NX-10 last week. It is phenomenal. Like it's, I'm so excited for this, for this rangefinder. I don't so even know if it's out yet. You
1: tell me I got to upgrade from my NX-9. You
0: do, you do. And then, you know, or if you're, you don't have a range fire, you need a new one, you don't want to spend the money. Buy the NX-9 now, but I promise you, like you're going to end up in an NX-10. It locks on so, so, so quick. They've got the customizable, Thing. Like Seth from Precision Pro was like, hey, I'm gonna give you like a briefcase. We're gonna give you different, you know, you can match up your range find your outfit. And I'm like, I'm not that big of a charlatan, <laughs> but um, but uh but yeah, nx10 is is gonna be the real deal. So precisionprogolf.com, check them out, they're just fantastic sponsor of ours. They're sponsoring Taurus Sauce again this year, super stoked for that. Um, anytime we have a charitable thing, they're they're always like first to raise their hand and I saw their. Uh, I saw Jillian Hollis, who's one of our young hitters, posted something uh, earlier this week that she got the new one. So, yeah, thanks to them. It's just, like, kind of a heartfelt, not really an ad read, more of, like, a, you know, very, like, personal endorsement. <laughs> Seth that. and Clay and the whole team, they're they're fantastic. So, all right, we got to talk food. What uh, I ate at Pammy's last night. Great spot. Very good. Yeah, I mean, like, probably, I think probably the best. You have to go to John Bonier's three of the four guys we were with had that I had, I had had it before. So I got, I went with the, uh, uh, the ricotta the smoked ricotta. Nice. Um, you know, but the, actually the best dish last night was the, um, the snap peas and squid. It was, it was, uh, oh, and they had like tempura snap peas. They had some cold snap peas that were marinated. They had, it was unbelievable. Uh, they had a crudo last night. They had, uh, oh, it was, it's an excellent restaurant, great concept, like awesome space. Yeah. Great neighborhood kind of at central square, kind of North of central square in Cambridge. R.I.P. to the people's Republic.
1: One of my favorite bars, which yeah. closed down during COVID was uh, half a block away from
0: there. Okay. Um, yeah. I feel like when I moved here, like, you know, we moved from Atlanta and I don't think we realized just how good of a food city Atlanta was at the time, but also Boston, you really got to seek it out. There's a yeah. lot of steakhouses. You can go up to the North end and get Italian food whenever you want. Um, yeah. And like oysters and seafood based. And I love oysters and seafood, but really otherwise it was kind of like, you really had to to dig a little bit to get beyond the, the tourist joints and to get into the mm. neighborhood spots and all that. And uh, I don't think I had good Mexican food for two years. until I moved back, back south. Is there a good place? It's like two good places. Okay. Yeah, there's
1: a place pretty close to here called El Pollo, and then there's a place called Taqueria El Barrio in East uh, East Boston. That's really East
0: good. Bo- okay, and I'm trying to think where else. I I loved Eastern Standard back yeah. before that closed. Eastern Standard and Island Creek closed, I guess, right yeah. there at, at Kenmore Hotel Commonwealth. This is more of a rent dispute than anything, mm-hmm. but the place was great. It was just kind of like a, you know, what you see is what you get, kind of French French American cuisine, but trying where else we used to eat. Mike and Patty's was always the the breakfast sandwich spot around us. Like, you know what? Somebody recommended that Salty Girl restaurant the other day. Yeah. I ate there a couple of days. I think that opened right when we were leaving here. Yeah. I ate there a couple of times. I was never really that impressed.
1: Yeah. Salty Girl was, you know, they started as like a pretty small like counter service, basically place next to a bigger sort of classic American food restaurant called Net Bar. And then during COVID, uh, they shut Met, Board, Met Bar down and turned it okay. all into Salty Girl. So it went from like okay. 20, 20 seats to 100 Because that was the
0: thing. It was like this little shoebox yeah. off of what? Like Berkeley or, or Clarence? Yeah. 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 So it went from 20 seats to
1: 120. Okay. And I'm not sure that the Concept quality has
0: you know, sort of carried over to the
1: 120 seats.
0: What are your favorite restaurants in the city? I don't yeah. want you to have to blow up all your spots, but at the same time. No, they,
1: they deserve it. Favorite restaurant, hands down, is this place in Somerville and Union Square called Juliet. Okay. And it's run by husband and wife team, uh, Katrina and Josh. They're awesome. And they just cook really, really flavorful, well-thought-out food. It's a lot of, like, Provençal, Nicoise, like, Southern French, Italian, Corsican stuff. And they also do seasons. So they'll do, like, you know, Katrina is Persian. So they'll do Nowruz. they'll do like a Persian new year season, or they'll do an apple season in the fall. Like where the menu is sort of catered around that. Love that. Super good wine list. Really good people. Great vibe. Uh, can't recommend it enough. Okay. What else? If you want pizza, best pizza in Boston is in West Cambridge. It's a place called Armando's classic, you know, it's got four tables, cash only get the Sicilian okay. uh, Sicilian pepperoni. Amazing. Uh, i even uh, had some with andy and brendan and, and even andy the chicago pizza guy was loving it
0: <laughs> chicago pizza sucked and straight up like <laughs> this is good pizza on the east coast here yeah. i think puritan and co in cambridge it's been there yeah been solid yeah really good so oleana there's like a oleana. there's like a middle eastern yeah. restaurant oleana is
1: impossible to get into you know? yeah oleana and sarma owned by the same uh, same
0: chef She's really good, and she has a cookbook, too,
1: which is good. Um, and, yeah, it's, like, all M- Middle Eastern sort of meze, small plates. There's good Greek food in Boston, too. Yeah, uh, Two places in in actually in the back bay in the south end. One is called Crossy, which is newer. The other one is Kava. Both really, really good Greek food.
0: Yeah, I ate a Kava last time. Up. It, it, the uh, octopus there was yeah phenomenal. What's yeah. your favorite, like, outside of Cambridge, what's your favorite neighborhood to eat in? Because that was what I started with a little bit in Back Bay. It's like, yeah, there's not a whole lot of imaginative stuff in Back Bay because the rents so high, I guess, and it's just very residential.
1: Yeah. You know, the South End has good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Copa in the South End, really good. Like,
0: So Barbara Lynch's? No, Copa is
1: uh, Jamie Bissonette and Ken Oranger. They also own Toro.
0: Oh, and then they own something over in Cambridge as well, don't they? Yes, Uh, Little Donkey. That was where we ate last summer here, too. That place is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, so Copa's is like their Italian spot, really good neighborhood.
0: Like- and then Toro is like their tapas. Or- yeah, Toro's yeah. tapas.
1: Yeah. Barmazana, really good, like coastal Italian food, uh sort of in that ink plot area that's become, you know, really big now. They got a whole food, so, you know, it's a yeah. big time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, S- South End is just like Pico, which is pretty good, you know, sort of sit down pizza. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's definitely you know yuppie and and on the expensive side, but the food is generally pretty good.
0: Are you an oyster seafood guy? Yeah. What's your What's your go to?
1: Um, I like two places. Row thirty four.
0: Yeah, it's really it's like good. The gold standard, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then select. So okay. Me- Neptune is like the the famous one, like yeah. in the north end. And it's got you know eight seats, and you got to wait in line no matter when. Yep. Select i believe is owned by the same people and you can get in yeah <laughs> and an oyster is an oyster so i'd rather go there but yeah uh you can't go wrong with seafood in boston it's hard to go wrong with seafood. select is
0: good i, I always like bng i think it's overpriced yeah. but it's they have great they have he passed away but this jim jim Clendenin, pinot blanc that i still like i buy by the case because like i found it there and it's like one of my and love that um, what
1: else ice cream Uh, My favorite ice cream is uh, in Inman Square, Christina's. There's like this sort of like big Tuscanini's and Christina's sort of a war about who has the best ice cream in Boston. um, Owned by, I believe it's a Sri Lankan family who started it as a spice store and then branched into ice cream. So they get some pretty crazy flavors. Because they're
0: already like basically
1: developing these spices. Yeah, so, you know, like lots of ginger, kofi, which is an Afghan spice ice cream. Cardamom, saffron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they get some. provocative flavors hell yeah it's a, it really good
0: all right north end italian where yeah. are you going uh
1: i don't go to the big ticket places carmelina's big fan and okay. then um giacomo's
0: giacomo's okay uh,
1: and actually there's a giacomo's in the south end <clears throat> and they own a bar called anchovies which is right next door okay great dive bar same kitchen can get really good food when you can't you don't want to wait at giacomo's
0: there's a little place called panza like it's more like i don't know naples southern italian stuff less nice. tomatoes more like lemon yeah it's always good but it's, and there's never a wait <laughs> like, you just got like find your go-to that like yeah, yeah. if you're in the room for italian you just want to show up and, like, yeah and
1: the north end since since covid and they started like having people eating outside yeah like, it's, it's it's totally changed it's more walking it's even more european it's
0: yeah cool. it feels it feels like a total uh yeah i mean it feels like you're in italy or south of france like it's yeah. yeah what's your favorite weekend trip
1: uh it's hard to beat the Cape. Um, I love if you can do it day trip to the beachcomber. Okay. Maybe my favorite, one of my favorite spots in the world, it's in Wellfleet on the Cape Cod national seashore, which, uh, JFK sort of nationalized in the sixties cause he grew up there and he wanted it. <laughs> and so now now there's like 45 miles of untu- untouched, uh, Atlantic facing beach, okay. which is amazing. And the beachcomber was. Uh, was basically like a old lifeguard station that um, they uh, turned into a hotel, and so it got grandfathered in. And now it's a bar uh, and a music venue where you're on this dune, sort of 80 feet over uh, over the ocean. You can go get a frozen margarita, have fried seafood like wealthy clams straight from the water. Like it's
0: amazing. Hopefully oyster, uh, yeah, those oysters, are like my favorite yeah. oysters yeah, in the world. Yeah,
1: and I would also say like if you if you can make it to Provincetown. And you can also take the ferry from Boston, yeah. which is like an hour ferry. Like Provincetown's is a super cool, super cool vibe. Yeah.
0: You ever go up to Portland or oh, yeah. Burlington or Montreal? And then like, that's kind of what I miss about up here. It's like, there's just so many cool, yeah Vermont, so many cool road trips that you can take that are totally two, totally. three, four hours. Vermont is awesome. Burlington's a cool
1: place. All the towns along the way, you can stop yeah. anywhere and like have a good meal, do some, you know, shopping, antiquing, whatever. Portland's an awesome city underrated city i think portland is also an underrated food well actually now, now it's it like, might be so
0: underrated it's overrated yeah, now, now i think everybody's talking about i think providence is, yeah, is providence, on the same level yeah. like that federal hill area and just there's just stuff outside of there rent's cheaper i feel like more chefs are going down there yeah for sure
1: i mean rhode island you know you can drive to newport in under two hours yeah. like, you can go to watch hill you can go to the beach in rhode Island. like there's a lot of it's such a varied landscape around here like you can kind of Choose your own adventure. Go to the Berkshires. There's a ton.
0: So you've lived in Back Bay. You live in Back Bay now. Yeah. Do you ever like? You, are you just set on Back Bay, or you, will you ever test out like the Seaport, or go over to Cambridge? Or... Uh, that's a. It's a no on the
1: Seaport for me.
0: Okay. Just too. Think... It's like it's like un-Boston. It feels more like yeah. Chicago than Boston. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah, it feels like the West
1: Loop. It feels like yeah. you know, sort of right around. Um, yeah, the Seaport is like crazy because when i was growing up the seaport was parking lots
0: yeah and now it's like abandoned warehouses
1: (laughs) and you know it's a good you know good urban planning but as long as it doesn't flood in 20 years uh you know it's uh it's like really happening hot spot tons of apartments and restaurants and nightlife it's cool but i I don't think i want to live there yeah um cambridge holds a lot of appeal because you can and so does brookline too because you can do sort of like the urban suburban you know yeah, you can get both.
0: Are your parents from here originally? Or are they?
1: My mom's from Maine. Okay. And my dad's from South Africa.
0: Sick. Yeah. When it, and did he come over for for school over here? And...
1: Yeah, he's a. Uh, it's a funny story. He went to um, he went to Oxford, played played cricket for Oxford, <laughs> got his PhD, came here to to be a doctor in research uh, in the early '80s. Met my mom, and the rest is history.
0: Just and this. Endless and they met in boston yeah
1: they met in boston
0: okay yeah how'd they meet
1: blind date yeah yeah
0: where like where at in in the city uh
1: in the south end i think okay yeah
0: that's cool that's cool well hey good stuff that was uh i feel like that was a proper proper boston episode
1: yeah thanks for having me on i hope i did it justice
0: yeah absolutely no i think you definitely did it better justice than we did the last time (laughs) i'll do the same thing for chicago i'll find a, find a you know requisite Guests for Chicago as well. So thank you, John.
1: Thank
0: you. This is the spot for that crap Hey. I told him
1: straight drop this and zip lock that. Hey. Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap.
0: Trapper's favorite trapper,
1: (laughs) the absolute truth, yeah, no joke.